0: Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa, and this is our show for the week of Schmerz Day, July 10th, 2023. Happy Bastille Day, mes amis. On the show today, news, listener questions, and in surveys, let's just call it FastPass++. Then in our main segment, Jim tells us about the history of Toy Story Mania. Let's get started by bringing in the man who quotes a lot of Taylor Swift lyrics to his therapist. It's Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going?
1: Look, Len, as Taylor put it oh so eloquently in in the bonus track of her debut album, I'm Only Me When I'm With You. (laughs) That's touching. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. Why wouldn't I quote from this very talented young woman who, by the way, just added 14 new dates to her 2024 European tour, I mean, I know that you and your daughter actually got to go to a Taylor Swift concert recently, and I've been making inquiries about, you know, how I might be able to maybe get a seat to this European tour. Sadly, Lynn, it turns out that no one on the dark web is is interested in, in purchasing a slightly used sixty four year old kidney, <laughs> <laughs> I, I
0: have I, I hold that faith for you, uh, Jim, that you'll find tickets. By the way, did I did I tell you about? How I, know, I Learned About the Price of Kidneys and Lungs.
1: Oh, no, but, boy, right. we're, interesting,
0: <laughs> this, this is taking a left turn already, okay, here we okay, go. Okay,
1: cool, yeah, we go.
0: So, uh, a couple months ago, mm-hmm. a
1: tour-used
0: Eddie Van Halen guitar mm. went up for auction, oh. and he used it On the 1984 tour, he also used it during the Hot for Teacher video. So (sighs) stage played for a long time. Eddie Van Halen, Frankenstrat, Replica. There are not very many of these Mm -hmm. in the world. So the auction price was $1.8 million. That's the beginning bit. Mm -hmm. And I thought Mm -hmm. to myself, just out of curiosity, Mm -hmm. how much does a a kidney and a lung get Mm -hmm. you on the open market? Mm -hmm. And Jim, the prices were vastly lower than I expected. So a lung of a young, healthy non-smoker is Mm -hmm. only $250,000 on the open market. And kidneys are 15K. And the the problem with that is, Jim, right? Mm -hmm. If I, you know, the the guitar ended up selling for $3.9 million. Mm -hmm. The problem is, just from a paperwork perspective, if Mm -hmm. I showed up at a hospital with $3.9 million (laughs) worth of lungs and kidneys, the number of (laughs) questions I would have to answer about that makes the whole thing unappealing to me, <laughs> okay? <laughs> and that's what stopped me, Jim. That's well, what stopped me. <laughs>
1: Security to the ER. There we go. I, I should, just, I, I, you know, but on the other hand, just rolling the luggage cart into the building with that many Tupperware containers, and it's like, hey, do you guys have any freezer space? I, I'm just asking. <laughs> you know, and I was,
0: ta- and I was talking to Laurel about it, and I'm like, well, what if I just say, you know, what if I just tell the hospital, look, mm-hmm. do you want the organs or not? And she just looked at me like, not gonna fly. <laughs> I blame the government. <laughs> there we go. There we go. All right, Jim, let's do a quick shout out to subscribers over at DisneyDish.bandcamp.com. Thanks to new subscribers S. Atwood, Mile High Mouse, Matt Austin78, and Samantha Glenn. And longtime subscribers Jason Back, Jason Hernandez, Diane Whiting, and Glenn Roos. Jim, these are the Disney Imagineers banned from ever programming the Lincoln animatronic at Hall of Presidents. After that one time, Abe went on stage with a Pete Wentz haircut, shouted to the audience, It's not a phase, this is who I am, before singing Ohio is for Lovers. True story. <laughs> <laughs> i had a Ugh. lot of coffee today, Jim.
1: i I've had a I, lot of coffee today. That, <laughs> that, that's not obvious at all, Len. All, right, all right. Moving all right. on. Moving all right. on. Okay.
0: On to the news. Jim, mm-hmm. the first Mickey's Not-So-Scary Halloween Party event has sold out. Not surprisingly, it's for Halloween October 31st. Uh, and for those of you who are interested in tickets, the next event to usually sell out is the first one, which I believe is August 11th, or you know, Jim, 32 days from now. Mm. Home. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Also, also, Jim, not really news, but more of a rumor. Uh, I've mentioned a couple of times on the show that we're doing some old-fashioned queuing theory work in the parks. Things like counting how many people are in the big rope drop groups, how many people arrive per minute after opening, and things like that. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we noticed with Lightning Lane use is that the number of guests using the Lightning Lane at certain attractions was much, much higher than the highest Genie Plus usage number ever reported by Disney. And that's true even if we don't count all of the guests using VIP tours, which is actually a really small number, you know, relatively speaking. Mm -hmm. So in asking around about this, like, why are there so many people using the Lightning Lane line? I'm hearing that Disney's seen a dramatic rise in the number of guests using the Daz service to access Lightning Lane at rides.
1: Okay, uh, just to interrupt here for a sec, yeah. for, for those who aren't familiar with DAS, that's the disability access service right. uh, thing for the parks, right? Right,
0: so it's the thing where you, you can, um, if you've got a disability, uh, you know, either an apparent or non-apparent disability, that prevents mm-hmm. you from standing in long lines. Um, mm-hmm. It's the service that you can use at Disney that allows you to avoid most of the waiting in line at parks. Got Very it. popular, been used for years, great, great idea. Okay.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, apparently then for some attractions the number of guests using Daz is at an all-time high and as an example of what that means I've been told by cast members who worked at Toy Story Mania back in the day mm-hmm. that at the height of its popularity something like four out of five guests using the FastPass line at Toy Story Mania were using Daz Ooh. okay now there are Perfectly legitimate explanations for why this could be happening right number one Disney does a great job these days of advertising the fact that Daz exists Mm -hmm. Right, so it could be that more people who need to know about it are actually learning about it, and that's good, right? Mm -hmm. Also because you can schedule your interview in advance for Daz People who need the service might find it easier to sign up than having to wait in line when you get to the parks Mm -hmm. all valid reasons to use Daz, right? Mm Mm-hmm Also, the CDC says that around one in four Americans has some sort of disability. And if Mm -hmm. I had to make an assumption one way or the other, my assumption would be that the tens of thousands of people in a Disney park each day probably reflect that same one in four ratio because Mm -hmm. two large samples from the same population should, in theory, show the same characteristics, right? So, um, Mm -hmm. and the other thing that I forgot when I first started looking at this was Mm -hmm. if you're one of those one in four people and you've got two family members who want to ride with you, Mm -hmm. that could automatically explain the higher DAS use. At popular attractions, because now you've got three people using one DAZ pass, right? But yeah. still, Jim, I'm hearing is that uh, what I'm hearing is that Disney's taking a close look at who and how DAZ is being used in the parks. So yeah. I would not be surprised to see some modification of those rules in the next year.
1: This is kind of cyclic. I mean, I, I remember yeah. back in the '80s and the '90s, this very same thing coming up folks began to notice that there seemed to be, a, a, you know, a rather large group of folks who were sort of backdooring into attractions. And yep. going to be interesting to see how this shakes out, because whether it's visible or not, you know, there are a lot of folks who need to take advantage of these systems.
0: Right. And Disney Disney legally can't ask you what your disability is, right? There you go. But I think, you know, looking at, looking at the CDC numbers and knowing that people visit Walt Disney World in groups, and as long as one person has the disability, mm-hmm. everyone is eligible. You know, that, that might explain all of it. The, the thing that, uh, that reminded me of this, though, is I was standing in line for a flight, mm-hmm. I don't know, a couple of months ago. And you know, like they, they say that you know, people who need a little bit more time uh, mm-hmm. you know, boarding the flight can go first. And because overhead storage space is now at a premium, because oh. you know, airlines charge for uh, checked luggage now, there was this one flight I was on where the guy next to me and I, you know, standing in line for, our, you know, our group 12 or whatever we were, we counted 27 people who were not in wheelchairs taking advantage of the early boarding. And, and the, the guy turned to, turned, to, turned to me and said, is there an epidemic of non-apparent disabilities going on just on this flight? <laughs> like, like 27% is like, is like 10% of the, of the people on the flight. And you know, I mean, so the, so anytime, anytime the stakes are high, there are mm-hmm. a certain number of people who are willing to game this system, and I think that's,
1: mm-hmm. you know, that's the thing that Disney wants to make sure is not happening. But what do you put in place if this is the issue? So yeah,
0: I mean, other yeah, it, it, it would be difficult, and you know, Disney's in a tough spot here because they do really good at accommodating lots of things, but at the same time, the more generous you are, the easier it is to manipulate. So we'll see.
1: Right. Absolutely.
0: All right, Jim, on to surveys. Uh, Many listeners, including Amy and John, sent in a Disney survey posted to Facebook that asked how you feel about potential upcoming changes to Genie Plus that would, Mm -hmm. and here's a radical idea, Jim, make it a paid version of FastPass Plus. Who'd have thought (laughs) it? All right. I actually have a copy of the the survey, uh, including Mm -hmm. all the screens. And so for clarity, I don't normally uh, read all of the surveys anymore, but because uh, this survey actually goes into detail about the rules Mm-hmm. Around which fast passes you can get, and by fast mm-hmm. passes I mean Genie Plus, but I'm just mm-hmm. going to start calling it Fast Pass. I'm going to read. I'm going to read most of the survey. All right, so here we go. Okay. So imagine a service that you can purchase, uh, mm-hmm. and there are two such products. One is Lightning Lane entry to select attractions and experiences offered through a new service, a modified version of Genie Plus, and/or individual Lightning Lane entry to specific attractions. Okay, they're calling it modified. Disney genie plus a name that just rolls off the tongue. Okay. Mm-hmm. You can purchase it pre arrival mm-hmm. for all of the days of your visit at the same time. And individual lightning lane would remain a separate transaction. The prices would be between 15 and $35 per person per day. Mm-hmm. And you can buy this new service as early as seven days prior to the first day of park visit for guests staying at a Disney resort okay. and for everyone else, three days. So remember, with the old FastPass Plus system, Disney Resort guests could book their FastPasses 60 days in advance, and mm-hmm. everyone else was at 30 days. Mm-hmm. Same rule here, except it's 7 and 3. Okay. You could also have a choice of available return times. So right now with Genie Plus, Plus, and with Individual Lightning Lane, it's basically take it or leave it. But remember, in the old FastPass system, you had a range of return times that you could select. So it looks like the modified Genie Plus goes back to that. Okay. Also, you can modify the, uh, the return times. Your pre-arrival choices could include, Jim, guess how many experiences you could, you could pre-book in this new Genie <laughs> Plus version?
1: Okay. If, if <laughs> remember, it was,
0: it, was, it was three with Fast Pass Plus. What do you think the number is?
1: I'm going to go out on a limb here, Len. A three?
0: God, Jim, you are so good. Three. Yes, I, three. three. Three? What a <laughs> surprise. Okay. Also, Jim, do you remember mm-hmm. how in certain parks there were two levels of Fast Passes? available for certain attractions. What did, what did we call this? The two-tier thing. What did we tier, call it? Tier, right. Mm. Yeah, so there's yeah. this line that says, hey, you can mm-hmm. ex- you can select one experience from Tier A and mm. up to two experiences pre-arrival from Tier B. Tier B, there we go. <laughs> wow. All right. And then Disney actually goes through a number of scenarios mm-hmm. with this survey and says, okay, how would you like it if this was the particular set of categories to choose from. So in this case, individual lightning lane at the Magic Kingdom would still be Seven Dwarves and Tron. Okay. The Tier A attractions Mm -hmm. would be Big Thunder, Jungle Cruise, Peter Pan, and Space Mountain. And the Tier B would be everything else. Jim, it's 2015 again, baby.
1: (laughs) I know. Oh, my God. I just, can they do this? Can they act?
0: Yeah. Also, the other interesting thing is mm-hmm. uh, the new Genie Plus would go back mm-hmm. to the old FastPass Plus system where you could pick your three, then you could pick mm-hmm. more on day of, but it would remove the Genie Plus limitation of only being able to, one, run, to ride one ride once per day using it. So remember in FastPass, mm-hmm. in the FastPass Plus days, if there were 15 FastPasses available for Peter Pan, you could mm-hmm. grab them if no one else did. Mm-hmm. In Genie Plus, that went away. You only got one ride per person per day under genie plus we're going back to the old fast pass system now where if there's availability you get to use it all right so in epcot the individual lightning lane would still be guardians the Mm -hmm. tier one or the tier a attractions would be frozen remy Soren, and test track and everything else would be tier two okay
1: Okay.
0: in the studios rise of the resistance would still be the individual lightning lane the tier one attractions you want to take our tier
1: a attractions want to take a guess Got to assume that Mickey and Minnie's is in the mix there. It's, a, yep. it's the newest. Uh, yep. What else we got? Um, okay. Where uh, people go to first thing in the morning in, in Hollywood Studios? That's not rides. Slinky Dog Dash. Slinky Dog uh, Dash is another one. You got two more. Given this park has so few rides, uh, what is it? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, rocket
0: at this point and roller <laughs> roller you get, get roller coaster. Rocket roller on. coasters one, yeah,
1: and then you got one yeah. more tower. No. Oh. Smugglers Run?
0: Smugglers no. Run. Good job. Good job. Okay. Really? And everything, yeah, Oi. and then everything else would be in, in, in Tier 2 or Tier okay. B, whatever it is. Okay. Yeah. All right. Over at uh, Animal Kingdom, Flight of Passage mm-hmm. would still be Individual Lightning Lane. The mm-hmm. two Tier A experiences would be, you want to take a guess? Even
1: smaller <laughs> pool yeah. to choose from. Festival of the Lion King. That'd be a good guess,
0: but no. Because shows have a lot of capacity.
1: Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, what else? What else? All right. Expedition Everest. Yep. Uh, Good. That's one and, of the two. And what is the other one? I'm sorry. I'm drawing a blank. Navi River Tourneys, um, Yeah. So basically, the new really? rides. The new rides oh. are tier A. Yeah. Okay. Okay.
0: <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. So everything else would be in, in tier B. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and Jim, I'm telling you, if they don't call it Fast Pass Plus Plus, um, an opportunity will have been lost. Anyway. <laughs> The good news is, Jim, is that uh, Mm -hmm. from a programming perspective, I never removed the old Mm -hmm. FastPass code from (laughs) our Turing plan optimization software. So the tiers are already built in. The rules are already built in. I literally just need to go, for you programmers out there, I just need to go back into Git and revert some changes (laughs) and things Mm -hmm. will be exactly the way that they were.
1: (laughs) Okay, my one concern in this situation is think about we we have our standard three point seven five years folks who return to Walt yeah. Disney World, the folks who just kind of figured out the new system, and upon returning the next time you now have this the thing that's sort of familiar but still different and yeah. just it bothers me that the Disney World learning curve. Never gets any easier. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's got to be lovely for for someone like yourself who works in the turbine plant side of the street. You know, yep. It's like, well, if you need some help, I know a book. <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> I can make I can make all these problems go away for twenty dollars. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> there we go. Okay. All right, Jim, let's move on to listener questions. Mm -hmm. A uh, a quick correction on my part, Jim. On last week's show, I mentioned that the Mickey-shaped pond near the old Walt Disney World Speedway was still there using Google Maps as a reference. Mm -hmm. And when I got up early morning when the show was released, I already had texts of aerial images from our friend BioReconstruct showing that the pond was no longer there. And, Jim, I I have to say, I didn't know before I met BioReconstruct that I needed a friend with a helicopter. (laughs) And, And now I don't know how I would live without him.
1: Well, as long as we're mentioning BioReconstruct and his oh-so-polite way of, of pointing out errors, yeah. uh, did, didn't happen on this podcast, happened on the, the one that I do with Aaron Adams, a talented gentleman who edits this podcast, but yep. on, on a recent episode of Marvel Us Disney, I confused the Dr. Phillips Center for the Performing Arts, which is on Magnolia, with mm-hmm. the Dr. Phillips High School, which is directly behind Islands of Adventure on Turkey Lake. and. Sure. As BioReconstruct pointed out, this is easy to do because there are lots of things in this part of Florida named after the late Dr. Phillips. There's Dr. Phillips, the unincorporated area in Orange County and a suburb of Orlando, not to mention the Dr. Phillips Baby Place at Winter Park Memorial Hospital and the Orlando Health Dr. Phillips Hospital. By the way, all of these entities are named after the famous philanthropist Philip, one of the Orlando's first millionaires made his fortune in citrus. Born in 1874, died in 1959 at the ripe old age of 85, Mm -hmm. and his good works are continued even today through the efforts of the Dr. Phillips Charity. So uh, apologies for getting that wrong, but again, nice to have BioReconstruct in our corner.
0: It's funny that you mentioned uh, Dr. Phillips because the Mm -hmm. only BioReconstruct correction I've ever got Mm -hmm. about Dr. Phillips is when BioReconstruct reminds me, technically, it's Dr. Phillips' monster. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> anyway, uh, another, another email, this one from, uh, from okay. Phyllis, who says, uh, I was listening to the June 12th podcast, and mm-hmm. I was surprised to hear you mention the 4th of July parade in Travis on Staten Island. I was mm-hmm. born and raised on Staten Island and attended mm-hmm. that parade multiple times. In fact, my dad was asked to drive his antique cars in the parade, and as a child, I can remember dressing up in old clothes and riding in the car with my family. Here's mm-hmm. some photos of my dad with his cars and also mm-hmm. some trivia. There's a house in Travis that was used in the Splendor in the Grass, the movie with Natalie Wood and Warren Beatty. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, cool. Thank you, fellas. Wow. I'm glad we yeah. could bring back that memory for you. Mm-hmm. And speaking of memories, Annie writes in and says, I've been thoroughly enjoying the last couple of episodes about the Walt Disney World Speedway. it's so good job there, Jim. In 2006, I watched rookie Marco Andretti lose by 0.06 seconds to Sam Hornish Jr. in the Indy 500. And from then on, I was completely hooked on IndyCar racing. So much so that for my 18th birthday in 2009, my parents surprised me with the two-seater experience at the Disney Speedway. And this was the one where you sat in a modified IndyCar with the passenger sitting directly behind the driver. On my day, it was Davey Hamilton. And I note... Uh, that Davey Hamilton had three top 10 indie finishes. So a legit Indy car driver. Holy cow. And he writes, while we were waiting for the solo drivers to complete their laps, I was over on the wall talking to the crew and Davey about current drivers and how the season was going. So when it was time to decide who got to go first in the ride, I don't think any of the others thought there was even a chance they could go in front of me. This meant I got to do two warm-up laps with Davy And during which I learned that the swerving that the cars do to warm up the tires is way more abrupt in the car. And then I did three laps at the top speed of 180 miles an hour. As we accelerated out of turn four and started and started towards that speed, it took everything in me not to hold my arms up and scream for joy. It was and still is the best feeling I've ever had. My mother, on the other hand, said she was fine until we sped up to 180 and she realized that it was her only child in that small metal shell now hurtling around the racetrack. (laughs) When I was done, I jumped out of the car and started, hug- and started hugging everyone around me and exclaiming how amazing it was. I'm not saying my voice may have gone up a couple of octaves, but mm-hmm. one of the crew members said, I didn't know we gave Mickey Mouse a ride. <laughs> <laughs> I've, uh, I've attached some pictures from my experience. Thanks for letting me relive the third best day of my life. The first being the birth of my daughter and the second being my wedding day. Oh, that mm-hmm. is awesome.
1: <laughs> that is. That is. That's a great story. Wow. <laughs>
0: I'm glad. I'm glad I got the. I remember the uh, the top speed of 180. So that was uh, that was good. That's a great story, Annie.
1: Yeah, great job.
0: All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, Jim tells us how Disney has adapted the Toy Story Mania ride to fit into three
1: different theme parks. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Better Sleep. We've all had a night like this, a night where you wanted to sleep when you needed to sleep because of all the things you need to accomplish the following day. But because you just couldn't turn your brain off, you then got a lousy night's sleep, which then put you behind the eight ball the following morning. Look, we all want to roll out of bed and hit the ground running, but that's really tough to do if you haven't gotten the rest you need. If you're looking to find a way to rein in all of those thoughts that race through your head just as your head hits a pillow, well, maybe it's time you tried the Better Sleep app, your toolkit when it comes to improved rest. With the Better Sleep app, you can personalize your sleep experience by choosing among over 200 soothing sounds, not to mention a range of smart features that will help you sleep faster, deeper, and for longer. Over the past few weeks, I've been exploring Better Sleep's expansive library, sampling audio tracks from categories like ASMR, meditation, and brainwaves. And I have to tell you, it's actually been kind of fun to try to build a personalized soundscape, something that, that mixes my favorite sounds with color noises, who knew there was such a thing, to help me craft the perfect bedtime soundtrack. And just so you know, I'm not the only one who's been enjoying the Better Sleep app. It's one of the most positively reviewed apps in the Apple App Store, over 600,000 reviews and counting. Look, sleep experts will tell you that high quality rest is vital to mental well being and physical health. And if you've been struggling to calm your mind at bedtime, well, why not try the app that's had over 55 million downloads? When you sleep better, you feel better. Improve your quality of life in as little as one week. Download Better Sleep from your App Store or Google Play. That's Better Sleep on the App Store or Google Play. We thank them for sponsoring today's show.
0: We just talked about Toy Story Mania in the uh, opening of the show, and you've got the history of this attraction and how Disney's managed
1: to adapt it to three separate parks, right? Yeah, but but again, if we're tracking the history of Toy Story Midway Mania, uh, how this attraction wound up in California Adventure, Disney Hollywood Studios, and Tokyo Disney Seas, we actually have to start our story with an earlier Toy Story-themed interactive attraction, which is Buzz Lightyear Astro Blaster. (sighs) Now, there are several Astro Blasters around the globe. One in Anaheim, one in Tokyo, used to be one in Hong Kong, but that Astro Blaster... Closed August of 2017 to make way for that theme park's Ant-Man and the Wasp Nano Battle Attraction, yep. but the version of Buzz Lightyear Astroblastic concerns us today. It's the one that opened at Disneyland Park March 27, 2005, just in time for Disneyland's 50th anniversary. Okay, so this ride through shooter basically got shoehorned into Disneyland's old Circle Vision 360 theater. Visitors of the park didn't care. They loved Buzz Lightyear Astro Blaster right from the start, which did not go unnoticed by Matt Weimet, who was the then the president of the Disneyland Resort. On a parallel track, we have Kevin Rafferty and Robert Coltrane, who are the imaginers who were riding herd on the Finding Nemo submarine voyage project. That's the resurrection of Disneyland's subs ride, Mm -hmm. which had closed back September of 1998 and was slowly chugging along at this point. This is summer of 2005 at this point in our story. And Nemo, uh, the Nemo-themed sub revival wouldn't uh, come online until two years later, uh, June 11, 2007.
0: Okay, so we're still two years out from the opening of the subs, but we're, we're but we're we've got Imagineers on site in Disneyland.
1: That's it exactly. In fact, okay, a Rav- okay. uh, Rafferty and Coltrane were doing so much work on site at Disneyland that. Matt, we met, knew who these guys were on site. And and mm-hmm. as Kevin recounts in his excellent memoir, Magic Journey, my fantastical Walt Disney Imagineering Career, he and Robert are walking through the halls of 1401 Flower Street one day in the summer of 2005 when they bump into Matt. And we met, says... You two are just the two I'm looking for. He then goes on to say that he likes the interactive game aspect of Buzz Lightyear Astro Blaster and was hoping that we could come up with another family-friendly game-based attraction. But this one was going to need to be built over at California Adventure. Okay, so pause there for a second, Jim, because you and I
0: have actually walked the halls of 1401 Flower Street. And... And if somebody walked up to us and said, you two are just the two I'm looking for, we would have both turned around and run, right?
1: I would have assumed, yes, that would have yeah, been somebody yeah. from security. All right, Split we we'd up and them. run, okay. exactly.
0: They can't catch both of us if we're not together.
1: And by the way, do you remember that corridor in Imagineering that sort of did the faux monorail windows? Monorail,
0: yeah. Okay, so, uh, so real quick. In 1401 Flower Street, in Imagineering, yeah. there's a hallway built to look like. A virtual monorail complete with mm-hmm. like moving glass and stuff like that. It's very yeah. cool. Okay.
1: Yeah. And, but it, it was literally at that point. Uh, in fact, in, in the book, Kevin describes how that's where Matt you know, bumped into him and Robert in that space. Anyway, Rafferty goes on to say in the book that there's one thing I've learned over the years, and that's ideas have a better chance of being approved, designed, and built when it satisfies the need or the want of a park operator. Mm. And here was the president of Disneyland personally asking uh, myself and Robert for a new game-based attraction. So game on. There you go. What's not common knowledge at this point in Disney history is behind the scenes in 2005, the Imagineers are already taking a hard look at California Adventure. Disneyland Resort Second Gate had opened four plus years earlier, uh, February 8th, 2001, and it had just not connected with the theme park going public, which is why WDI is now in the process of developing an extreme makeover of California Adventure. Was the extreme makeover
0: home edition actually an ABC show at this time? Is that where you got the, I, the reference I, from? Yes, I did. Oh, yes,
1: look did. at you, Jim. Look at you. All right, go ahead. Synergy, synergy, synergy.
0: Synergy, right. synergy.
1: <laughs> All right. So the plan is to take <laughs> this troubled theme park and make it, much more like the one on the other side of the Esplanade, which, of course, is Disneyland Park. One of the key components of this DCA Extreme makeover is the imaginers were looking to cram as many Disney and Pixar characters into the place as possible. And given that Matt we met had just asked Kevin and, and Robert again uh, you know, to develop a new family-friendly game-based attraction... This was one of those, you got peanut butter, my chocolate moments. Mm. So Kevin and Robert began developing this idea. They decided they were going to build this family-friendly, game-based attraction around the company's most famous character. And again, direct Mer- quote, Mary Poppins with a gun? There we go. Mary Poppins with <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Hey,
0: this, this is where you tell me we're going to go in a different direction,
1: right? <laughs> or, uh, okay. Potential. Fine, you know? fine. Fine. Okay. So right. again, direct quote in Kevin's book. First place we went story-wise was the notion of having Mickey Mouse and his pals working the game booths on Paradise Pier. We even came up with a name for the family-friendly game base attraction, Mickey's Midway Mania. A lot of oh, M's there, Len. Nice. And given that Paradise Pier was about to get a big mickey related facelift i mean remember how the, the sun wheel literally became mickey's fun wheel
0: right the uh, the big ferris wheel that was uh, for a while the icon of dca yeah yeah. Okay. there we
1: go okay this seemed like a smart way to go but then january 25th 2006 just six seven months after you know they've been handed this task word comes down that the walt disney company is going to be acquiring pixar animation studios for 7.4 billion dollars mm. That exact moment, Len, Disney's corporate agenda changes. Given the company's just handed out all of that cash to acquire Pixar, bring it in-house, word comes down from on high in Burbank that the imaginators must now look for as many ways as possible to bring the characters and the stories told in Pixar's films into the Disney parks. And given that Kevin and Robert were very skilled when it came to reading the Disney corporate, lead, you know, tea leaves, mm-hmm. they were like, did we say Mickey's Midway Mania? Oh, our mistake. I get a, what, <laughs> what, what we actually meant to say was Toy Story Midway Mania. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That was the idea all along. Yeah, okay. Right. And look, this decision has always rubbed some Disney theme park fans the wrong way. They insisted that following Buzz Lightyear Astro Blaster with Toy Story Midway Mania is... Sort of the equivalent of following a cheeseburger with a cheeseburger. And wasn't it Walt himself who once said that you can't top pigs with pigs? And it's really? Like- this was, I don't remember this because I remember, I mean, I,
0: I believe it happened. But I don't mm-hmm. – I, I definitely was not someone who thought, well, Toy Story Midway Mania is going to be a, a clone of Buzz Lightyear. To me, Disney communicated out pretty early on and, and very well. That it oh was no, no, a, no no It was sort of the next generation. Yeah, okay,
1: don't get me wrong. I mean, once the attraction was open and people saw, okay, it is an interactive ride-through shooter, but it's a very different experience. Right. But but early on, it was like, really again? Um, but all right, look, let's let's be honest here. There's a Disney studio that Walt himself ran in the 1930s, and then Mm -hmm. there's a multinational, vertically integrated corporation that exists today. Sure. And given that, on average, McDonald's sells 2.5 billion cheeseburgers a (laughs) year, is it any wonder that Pixar is currently in the process of developing Toy Story 5? Oh, I believe it. By the way, uh, we officially learned about this project February of this year. No info yet on a release date.
0: Yeah, Jim. When, when you said uh, you know it's like following a cheeseburger with a cheeseburger, my initial mm-hmm. thought was, and I'm sure the our listeners thought the same thing, was like, what's what's wrong with that? <laughs> like <that's,
1: laughs> that is that is completely
0: logical. What? <laughs> uh. <laughs> I refer you I refer you, sir, to the concept known as the double cheeseburger.
1: <laughs> there we go. There we go. All, All right. right. Anyway, Toy Story okay. media. All right. Okay. So again, Matt we met has told Kevin and Robert that he wants another Buzz Lightyear Astro Blaster like family. Family-friendly, game-based attraction, and that clone, again, remember, had been of the um, Buzz Light Your Space Ranger Spin from Walt Disney World, had been crammed into the old Circle Vision building with just barely an inch of spare land. Okay. Um, now, given that they knew that the show building that would have to be built to house... Toy Story Midway Mania was going to have to be as big, if not bigger, than the one that housed Astro Blaster. Rafferty and Coltrane, quoting from from Magic Journeys, they took a trip to Paradise Pier to scout the exact location of this new attraction. And Kevin turns to Robert and says, I don't see how a ride can possibly fit here. As we stood in front of the long straight span of coaster track for California Screamin' that towered above and was directly behind DCA's game boots. And then we visually measured the distance between the edge of the coaster track and the edge of the water in Paradise Bay. Now, I want to acknowledge here that the original plan that Kevin and, and Robert were thinking of it and again, this is the West Coast version of Toy Story Midway Mania, was to pull down those games of the boardwalk booths and then at the very edge of the California Screaming Coaster Trek, build the show building that was supposed to house this this family-friendly game-based attraction out. So it would jet out into Paradise Pier and then maybe go up as far as Paradise Bay. Really? That yeah. far out?
0: You know, I, I remember when, when you and I walked DCA earlier this year with former Imagineer Jim Scholl, mm-hmm. one of the things that I remember Jim pointing out to us is mm-hmm. there's an expansion pad oh, behind, Calif- uh, behind the Incredicoaster mm-hmm. that the entrance to whatever ride that's going to be, the entrance to that is under the structure
1: it is. for it California is. Yeah. In fact, what's fascinating is that's been there since day one. And they, they've yeah. had dozens upon dozens of plans about what what could possibly go in there. A- Amazing. Anyway. That's creative. Okay, go ahead. Okay, so Robert had another idea when it came to where Toy Story Midway Mania could be placed. Again, I continue with quotes here. He says, here's what we'll do, Kevin. We blow th- right through the coaster. And R- Rafferty's response was, we blow right through the coaster, as in, Blow right through the coaster, you know, and, and Colter, It'll be okay. We'll we'll cut a it's hole fine. through the coaster structure and then end of the ride on this side, and then we'll put the the, the ride building on this side. And it's like, and Kevin's like, I'm not going to suggest that upper management. And, and, and we zip in, we zip out. Come on, it's just Okay, go ahead. There we go. And, and Robert sits on. Says, no, yes, you are. And management's going to go for this idea because we're going to leave screaming open while we build under it and Ooh. through it. Ooh, Robert is a
0: smart, smart man. Go ahead. All yeah. right.
1: Yeah. Now, never mind, Len. We're talking about all sorts of key coasters, structural support beams, plus a big honking electrical substation that is crucial to powering this entire side of the park. They're all in the way of, of Robert's proposed route, ride right? yeah. for Toy Story Midway Mania. But he said, look, Matt, we met once a, a new interactive game thing for DCA. and And if we keep screaming open, you know, management's got to go for this idea.
0: Yeah, I mean, this—I mean, I, I don't know anything about how to manage a theme park, but mm-hmm. this seems to me
1: like something that management would at least consider seriously. There we go. There we go. Now, okay. East Coast, very different situation, where once the walking tour por- portion of Disney MGM's backstage tour stood, mm. now there are two empty sound stages, and Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Play it, which opened in Florida, April first, two thousand one. And by the time the Pixar acquisition deal is announced in January of 2006, it's basically running out of fumes. And we we just
0: uh, we just covered this in uh, in a couple of
1: episodes not too long ago. We did, we did. So when the order comes down from on high that the Disney Parks are supposed to cram as much Pixar-related stuff in as they can, Disney Hollywood Studios takes the ball and runs with it. What what they propose is taking all of Mickey Avenue and turning mm-hmm. it into a new land for the park called Pixar Place. This would involve first shutting down Florida's version of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Play it. They would then blow out the wall that separated the soundstage at House Millionaire with the soundstage directly next door to create the massive show building for the East Coast version of Toy Story Midway
0: Mania. Do you remember, by the way, you and I walking this and you pointing out where this was all going to go? Because you and I did this before they... Before oh, yeah. they uh, before they built Toy Story Midway Mania, you were like, oh. and here's where it's going to go. We walked along the entire length of the uh, of the facade.
1: Yeah, but when they decided they were going to change Mickey Avenue into a Pixar themed land in the middle of the park, and yep. some of the decisions land were so inside baseball, mm. like Mickey Avenue is that space between the show building for the old Great Movie Ride and Sound Stages 1, 2, and 3 from The Walking Tour.
0: It's it's basically the uh, the
1: parallel street to Commissary Lane. That's it, exactly. But behind Great Movie Ride. Okay. But here's the thing. In order to do some placemaking, what they decided to do is they would cover both sides of the street— with the exact same color brick that was used to build the yep. Steve Jobs building on the Pixar campus in Emeryville. And it was yep. one of these things where it's like, really, this is, this is going to matter to the folks in Florida? And it's like, yep. absolutely. I don't know
0: if our listeners have experience in trying to match brick mm. color. But as someone who's <laughs> been through that remodel before for a 1960s, (sighs) mid-century modern house. Let me say, Jim, you end up speaking to a lot of people in Europe. (laughs) All right. It's it's not like going to Home Depot and saying, I need this color brick. There are relatively few companies that manufacture the kind of brick that people are looking for.
1: All right, go ahead. But what's interesting is the folks in Florida felt like, we had to do this because this sends the message yeah, yeah. to the folks back at Pixar that look we you we know part you guys of family. are into, yeah,
0: yeah
1: yeah yeah and, and we want to pay you know our, our respects to you and give yeah. people an authentic Pixar experience so yes it's important yeah. to get this it, brick color
0: and the people at Pixar the people that I've met anyway are huge Disney theme park fans so they would appreciate this kind oh, of gesture far more than than the average person
1: would right they they get it. Okay, so just to recap here, West Coast, we're building a brand new show building, uh, which involved going cutting out supports for a, a, a standing roller coaster. Which, by the way, still has to operate while this construction sure. is going on. Minor problem, sure. Go ahead. Minor problem. Whereas you know on what? the East Coast, Mickey Avenue is literally in the center of the park.
0: It is okay, the center of the park. Know. Yeah. So uh,
1: you know, and the whole notion of you're going to shut down that artery, which again, remember, this was back when Honey I Shrunk the Kids play area was operating. This is when Streets of America, which also, you know, remember seasonally is where we're doing our Osborne lights. You know, then the notion you're gonna shut down the central artery to do this re theme. That's a big roll of the dice and that's really gonna impact parked operations. All right, Um, so they've
0: gotta they've gotta get this cleared by park management, I'm
1: assuming, right? Yeah. But on, on East Coast, as soon as the, the folks at Disney Hollywood Studios, it's like, go, go now. In fact, no. what's so fascinating, Glenn, <laughs> is we've talked on, on recent shows about how Disney is operating Star Wars, the Galactic Star Cruiser, to, right to the end of this fiscal year.
0: Yeah, to the uh, September 30th. Yeah. And that's typically what they do. They close up everything at the last minute on the last possible day, which is which is September 30th. Of their fiscal year. Yeah.
1: All right. Now, uh, compare this to what they did with uh, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire Play It at Disney's Hollywood Suitors. They shut it down on August 19, 2006. That is six weeks really? before the end of the fiscal year. It's like, you know, no, 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 no. We want this thing gone. <laughs> Re- Regis, who? What? Here's, here's your hat. Here's your coat. You have to leave so soon. Goodbye. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, okay. and mind you, this is four months out from when the project is officially announced on December 15th, 2006. And this is when the company reveals, okay, we are building two Toy Story Midway Manias. You know, one of the East Coast, one of the West Mm -hmm. Coast. And by the way, Len, the last time they did this with the notion of, and I wanna stress here, the idea was they were, these two attractions, were gonna open within two weeks of one another in the late spring, early uh, early summer of 2008. Last time the company did this was in 1975 when the two bi-coastal versions of America on Parade, the, the bicentennial uh, entertainment thing that ran in, at Disneyland Park and Walt Disney World's Magic Kingdom for two years, uh, when that debuted.
0: Oh, that's interesting because so they went 30 years mm-hmm. between launching two of the same thing on, uh, in Disneyland and Walt Disney World. But then, Jim, I have to imagine that mm. the people who worked on Toy Story Midway Mania – you know the 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 two coast launch probably when it came time to do Galaxy's Edge, Disney oh. starts going. All right, bring me the name of everyone who worked on that <laughs> that 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 two coast launch of uh, Toy Story Mania because guess what?
1: <laughs> well, right. you know if you can pull them away from their therapists. you know because yeah, right? yeah. this was challenging, Len. These were two eighty million dollars a piece attractions building uh, being built on on different coasts that needed. Ride vehicles needed sense, mm-hmm. needed programming, and so did everything go according to plan? We'll get to that part of the story on oh, next week's f- final uh, part of uh, the the story of Toy Story Midway Mania. <sighs> I love I love
0: a good suspenseful moment, Jim. Way to go! Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks, that's going to do it for the show today. You can help support our show and Jim Hill Media by subscribing over at DisneyDish.Bandcamp.com, where you'll find exclusive shows never before heard on iTunes. And we just did an interview with former Imagineer Jonathan Ackley, who designed in-park games including the Kim Possible World Showcase Adventure and Sorcerers of the Magic Kingdom. So look for that soon. You can find more of Jim at jimhillmedia.com and more of me, Len, at touringplans.com. Were produced fabulously by Aaron Adams, who'll be recreating Michelangelo's separation of light from darkness from the Sistine Chapel at the La Strada de Pastille Chalk Art Festival this Saturday and Sunday, July 15th and 16th, starting just outside the Insomnia Coffee Company on Main Street in beautiful downtown Hillsboro, Oregon. While Aaron's doing that, please go onto iTunes and rate our show and tell us what you'd like to hear next. For Jim, this is Len. We will see you on the next show.